You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. Today's scripture comes from John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17, and is taken from the message version of the Bible. I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy, and your joy wholly mature. This is my command. Love one another the way that I loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. You are my friends when you do the things I command you. I no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. You didn't choose me. Remember, I chose you and put you in the world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil. As, a, as fruit bearers, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. But remember the root command, love one another. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, of course, in just two days, it's Valentine's Day, and people all over the country and the world will give gifts of candy and flowers and perfectly worded cards celebrating love in the name of St. Valentine. But who exactly was St. Valentine? Well, the Catholic Church recognizes at least three St. Valentines. All were martyred. The first one was a priest during the third century uh, in Rome. Emperor Claudius II had said that single men make better soldiers than those with wives and families, and so he outlawed marriage for young men. Valentine defied Claudius, and he performed marriages for young lovers in secret. He was discovered, and Claudius ordered that he be put to death. And he was. Now, the second Valentine, uh, others insist, was St. Valentine of Termi, who was a bishop and also was beheaded by Claudius. But the third Valentine was killed for trying to help Christians escape harsh Roman prisons where they were often beaten and tortured. Now, according to legend, in, uh, this, this imprisoned Valentine sent the first Valentine greeting. He fell in, a lo- in love with a young girl, maybe the jailer's daughter, it's not certain, who visited him while in prison, and before his death, he wrote a letter and signed it from your Valentine. He was a romantic and heroic figure, and I learned after worship, after the first service, that this story has been made into a movie that you can watch on the Hallmark Channel on Tuesday. (laughs) 
Now, Valentine's Day itself was developed when the Catholic Church decided to place it in February in order to Christianize the pagan holiday of Lupercalia. Now, February February 15th was a fertility festival dedicated to Faunus. It's a lot of Fs. February 15th was a fertility festival dedicated to Faunus, who was the Roman god of agriculture. Now, I'm not sure that when we think about it today that Valentine's Day is necessarily seen as a Christian holiday. It certainly can be a time to celebrate love and can also be kind of a hallmark holiday. Whatever the case, these stories of the origins of the holiday and just who St. Valentine may be, speak to a determination to love and a willingness to do whatever it takes to love. It's not all that different from the imperative that Jesus gives us to love. It's a call to sacrifice for the sake of love, to do what it takes in order to ensure that love is extended and a mandate to those who love him to love others sacrificially. Now, sacrifice is a word that um, can sometimes be troubling. There have been years in which the Christian church has called for sacrifice and sometimes to the detriment of individuals. It's led some people to stay in abusive marriages out of sacrifice or maybe to give up their happiness in a variety of ways, including losing themselves. But sacrifice is about giving up. It's about giving up out of love, love of God, love of God's people. And there are choices that we make as Christians, as parents, as spouses and sons and daughters and friends that call us to be sacrificial in love. We willingly make these sacrifices out of love. Now, in his book, Dad, the Family Coach, Dave Simmons shares about taking his kids to the hardware store one day. Helen was eight and Brandon was five, and when they got to the hardware store, they discovered there a petting zoo. The kids asked if they could go, and Dave said sure, and he gave them each a quarter and went in. Soon, he noticed that Helen was following him, and and so Dave asked asked her why, And she said, well, it cost 50 cents to go to the petting zoo, so I gave Brandon my quarter. And then she said, love is action. Similar to our love in action. Dave was so thrilled to hear these words because love is action was his family motto. She'd heard the words, now she made them a part of her life, and Dave was so happy. When he finished shopping, he took Helen to see Brandon, and he had two quarters in his pocket for her if she asked, but Helen didn't ask. She just stood there and enjoyed watching her brother, watching his joy. Dave wrote, because she knew the whole family motto, it's not love is action, it's love is sacrificial action, love always pays a price. Love always costs something. Love is expensive, and when you love, it benefits accrue to another's account. Love is for you, not for me. Love gives. It doesn't grab. 
Helen gave her quarter to Brandon and wanted to follow through with her lesson. She knew that she had to taste sacrifice, and she wanted to experience the total family motto, love is sacrificial action. As Christians, sacrificial love comes as a response to Christ's sacrificial love for us. Today's scripture is about love and friendship, and it contains within it the most explicit statement of love in the gospel of what it means to love as Jesus. Here in verse 12 is a direct restatement of the love commandment that we find in John chapter 13, verses 34. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. And it echoes an ideal of friendship reflected in Greek philosophy, but given new content through Jesus. For Jesus' friends are those who are loved. It's not just that simple ideal of friendship that we might have, but it's understanding friendship in a whole new way, grounded in Jesus' kind of love. Friends lay down their lives for each other. They sacrifice for one another out of love, not out of duty or requirement, but as an extension of love. In his book, The Furious Longing for God, Brennan Manning writes, Jesus said you are to love one another as I have loved you, a love that will probably lead to the bloody, anguished gift of yourself, a love that forgives 70 times 7, that keeps no score of wrongdoing. Jesus said this, This love is the one criterion, the sole norm, the standard of discipleship in the new Israel of God. He said you're going to be identified as his disciples, not because of your church-going, Bible-toting, or song-singing. No, you'll be identified as his by one sign only, the deep and delicate respect for one another, the cordial love impregnated with reverence for the sacred dimension of the human, the human personality of the mysterious substitution of Christ for the Christian. If we, as Christian community, took seriously that the sign of our love for Jesus is our love for one another, I'm convinced it would change the world. We're denying the world the one witness Jesus asked for, love one another as I have loved you. The sign of love for Jesus is our love for one another. So what does that look like? It looks like engaging in missions and caring for the sick and the hurting, praying for one another and praying for the world, giving to the church and to charities, and putting love into action. It looks like the child who shares their lunch, the laborer who tips generously, the father who doesn't take the promotion so his family doesn't have to move, the woman who uses her vacation time chaperoning a mission trip, and the colleague who gives a day to the sick bank so another can stay home with their loved one who is sick. It looks like stepping down from a position in order to give someone passed over the opportunity, opening your home to a refuge, paying off someone's medical bills, and organ donation. When we love so much that another's happiness, well-being, health is our top priority, we are loving like Jesus. His face shines through us. But let's take that to the next level. Jesus isn't just asking us to love those close to us. He wants us to love those we don't even know. 
those who are different from us, those who think differently from us, those who behave differently and look differently and smell differently. Friends, it's not always easy, but it's love. Bob Goff, in his book, Everybody Always, wrote, What I've been doing with my faith is this. Instead of saying, I'm going to believe in Jesus for my whole life, I've been trying to actually obey Jesus for 30 seconds at a time. Here's how it works. I meet someone who's hard to get along with, and I think, can I love that person for the next 30 seconds? While they continue to irritate me, I find myself counting silently. Before I get to 30, I say to myself, okay, I'm going to love them for 30 more seconds. And I try to love that person in front of me the way that Jesus did for the next 30 seconds, rather than merely agree with Jesus and avoid them entirely, which I'm sad to say comes easier. Bob says, for me, agreeing is cheap and obeying is costly. That's sacrificial love, too. But it's done out of love for Jesus and a desire to follow him completely. And if you do it over and over again, I bet you'll discover that you really do love that person because love breaks down our own issues and Christ takes over. What we're talking about here is the expression of agape love, of agape love. Now, the Greeks have many different words for love. We only have the one, but they have all these different words that describe different types of, of love. For example, philia is friendly love. Eros is romantic love. Ludus is flirtatious love. And agape is unselfish, sacrificial love. You know, we make those blessing bags at the Night of Blessings that have all kinds of things in them for you to give out to someone as you pass them on the street in need. We call them blessing bags. Another name for them is agape bags because agape isn't judgmental. It's just an extension of love. It doesn't love with an agenda. As soon as we have an agenda for love, it's not love anymore. Like 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter says, Love is patient and kind, not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable. And it doesn't keep a record of wrongdoing. Agape love stems from God's unconditional love for us. The love that we know through Christ Jesus, who sacrificed for us that we would know God's love. And it's the kind of love that we express when we follow Christ, when we obey Christ instead of just agreeing with him. Jesus says when we love others like he loves us, it's the very best way to love. He's told us this so that his joy will be our joy, that we will love so much that our joy is complete and that we will fully live into our faith in Jesus. So friends, 30 seconds at a time, loving in a way that obeys Jesus, May we love one another as Christ loves us. Amen. 
You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.